Good afternoon. Welcome to Easter Monday with Mackling and McGarry. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Hello, Greg. How come you didn't bring any chocolate bunnies in with you from uh, hell or otherwise? I ate them. Did you just say from hell? Don't you remember the Winnipeg punk group, Chocolate Bunnies from Hell? <laughs> PJ Burton, lead singer. He was he was actually a substitute teacher in Winnipeg School Division Number 1. And I'll never forget the time he came to our school. I think I was either in grade 8 or grade 9. See, I said I'll never forget. I just remember him being there. And a couple of us went, I think that's PJ Burton. And, of course, the whispers. And then once we figured out that it was him, we uh, just talked about rock and roll for, like, three hours all morning once we confronted him. Aren't you P.J. Burton? How do you guys know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just happened to know. We were a big music aficionado. So, anyway, if you're listening, P.J., uh, all the best to you and your band out there. Chocolate Bunnies from Chocolate Hell. Chocolate Bunnies from Hell. Winnipeg a, Institution. That took a second to to catch on. <laughs> For and, you? And oddly enough, my, my my parents were, they were flipping through the television the other night and some movie came on with Killer Bunnies. It was a B movie from the 70s. It was The Night of the Lepus. I don't know that one. It's apparently about giant mutant rabbits. Fantastic. So I thought... That sounds like bunnies from hell. He certainly could possibly does. be thinking about the same thing. <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't. Uh, actually, we have a bunny story for you at 3 o'clock. <laughs> Apparently, they're a very popular pet over Easter, but it's kind of like riding a roller coaster or seasickness. Mm. Uh, if you have a funny, queasy feeling, uh, that feeling shall soon pass. Just put your head between your knees. Apparently, that's the relationship most people have with their bunny rabbits. So we'll tell you all about what, that. What, they get No, just the fact that uh, the relationship and the desire for relationship soon passes. Oh, okay. So we'll talk about uh, the problems that that caused. And also, at 2 o'clock, the Netflix phenomenon, uh, 13 Reasons Why, uh, it was released March 31st. Uh, it is uh, playing and remains a highly acclaimed series on Netflix. I know you almost delved into it this weekend, but you stopped yourself. No, I didn't stop myself. I I, I ended up veering in another direction. Okay, I fair got enough. Dis- I got distracted. Well, like, oh, this th- looks shiny, and I'm going to watch this instead. <laughs> it's just as well. Lots of our listeners will have watched it, seen it, or know, know someone that does, and it doesn't come without a lot of controversy as the storyline surrounds the suicide of a teenager. We'll talk about the storylines, talk about why it's healthy to talk about it, and we'll visit with a columnist uh, from the UK who says it's not healthy and it's a dangerous portrayal of teen suicide. Yeah, I uh, I do want to get to it eventually. The problem with the Netflix shows is is the binging nature. Once I get once I start a Netflix show, I cannot stop until I'm finished. So it sort of takes over my life for a couple of days. I'm the same way, man. I got through it. I think it took me six days to get through it, but I did a couple episodes a day. They're uh, just under an hour each, so it is quite a commitment. So I'll give you that. And we're going to have two special guests in the studio this afternoon. We're looking forward to this. Two thirty. We are going to speak about divorce cakes. Apparently, divorce cakes are a big trend where you you get a divorce and you you get a cake for it <laughs> to celebrate a divorce party. So we thought we'd reach out to Jenna Ray Cakes. 
They, this, I don't know if you've heard of them. There's a good chance you have because these young women have 164,000 followers on Instagram. That's craziness. For a Winnipeg business, that's nuts. So, and they're just, their business, they're on Academy Road just over the bridge. So they're not open today. But I thought, well, geez, they're so close to the station. Let's get them down here. And they're going to join us at 2.30 in studio to talk about divorce cakes and I guess about being social media superstars, <laughs> that's a that's a lot of people for a Winnipeg business, so good for them. I so, think their name is somehow connected to Martha Stewart as well. We'll get into all of that after 2.30, but right now we wanted to help you imagine some new things about some songs that you might know, right, Mr. Greg? I gotta press the right button. Imagine there's no country. Yes, from CNN. They're doing a great series, uh, I think it's Thursday night, on uh, basically the soundtracks of our lives. Uh, We did a conversation with Dr. Cyrus about that and the effect music has on us. But how about this? At this very moment, there's a couple out there realizing that their song, the 2005 hit ballad, You're Beautiful, has nothing to do with a loving, body-positive relationship and everything to do with a stalker who's stoned out of his mind. CNN has compiled a list of about. That's okay. You can go. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Ten or so, uh, ten or uh, eleven songs here, iconic songs that are the lyrics have nothing to do with the majority. What the majority of the public believes they have to do with, and uh, John Lennon's "Imagine" is the one that we mentioned during Jeff's show. Maybe we'll leave that for a couple minutes. But you were just starting to play James Blunt's "You're Beautiful." It's funny how you hear, because when I first heard this song and heard it many times after, I never, I never listened to the lyrics because I'm not a huge fan of the song. I don't dislike it, but I don't love it. So it was just kind of one of those songs that was on the periphery and I didn't pay any attention to it. But when you actually take the, take a moment to sit down and analyze it, especially when someone says, by the way, <laughs> it's not about that. It's about this. It suddenly becomes really creepy. Yeah, it's, it's unsettling because it is this nice, it sounds romantic. How many people have used that as their wedding song? Oh. As their couple's dance song, either at their social or at their wedding? You may want to reconsider that if this is on your list of potential social slash wedding slow songs for you. It's actually about a stalker who's stoned out of his mind. You want to take it from there, Brett? It's a guy, he's on a subway, he's high as a kite, and he's stalking someone else's girlfriend. When that guy is right there in front of him and he should be locked up or put in prison for being some kind of a perv, this is what James Blunt says. And he says, people who say, ah, oh, he's so romantic, I want your beautiful as my wedding song. These people are screwed up. <laughs> and he says, and then they go on to say, perhaps we should not be so quick to judge Blunt's fans. Some of the most famous songs in American pop culture are often misunderstood, like the rest of the songs on this list. And so uh, let's uh, delve into a few more of these songs, some of the most popular songs of all time. How about The Boss? Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Great song. Lots of politicians have played it at the rallies. People think it's about being super patriotic. Mm, Not so much. What's it about? 
It's casting a critical and mournful eye on America and its involvement in war. Listening to the opening chords of the Springsteen rock classic, and you can't help but have visions of patriotic fist bumping on the 4th of July. But despite its driving beat and seemingly pro-American title, the lyrics of the 80s hit don't blindly celebrate the country. Far from it. Takes a harsh look at the U.S. as a military-industrial complex and the way in which we treat those who have risked their lives in battle. And this is uh, from the Daily Beast pointing it out in 2014 while noting how often politicians often miss this message. And you're right. I mean, it's the song begins with that bang. And you just, I'm not, we're not Americans, but there's that, I, I get that feeling too. I remember when I first heard the song when I was a kid and I didn't know anything about satire or whatever. And I just, you know, it, it's an emotional tune that makes you want to go, yeah. There's absolutely no question about that. So there you go. Just when you think... You've got it all figured out. An article like this comes out and ruins everything for everybody. After your forecast, we'll tell you why Imagine by John Lennon is not what you initially imagined. Mackling and McGarry, your forecast is up next. You know, the last time you said, you, mm-hmm. de- you declared it was not going to reach the forecast high. Yes. It surpassed the forecast high. H- how do you remember that? <laughs> Are you keeping track <laughs> no. of my my lack of prowess in the weather forecasting no, world? it's not a lack of prowess. <laughs> it's a safe bet. But it was almost like when you trash-talked the weather. Yes. The weather said, well, hang on. Yeah. So let's we'll show hope, you. Let's hope that... You know, the, the weather is not taking a nap. I have no problem being trash-talked by Mother Nature. If Mother Nature wants to show me, want to show me who's boss, I'm more than happy with that. Yeah, please feel free to get up to six degrees, and uh, let's see some... You said a mix of sun and cloud. Mm-hmm. There's no mixture out there. That is like... It's like cake batter in the sky. There, there's no sun getting through there. I like how you use the cake batter reference, given mm-hmm. our guests coming at 2.30. No, I've always got my mind on cake. What can I say? <laughs> we are talking this afternoon, at least in this uh, first half hour, maybe the first hour. We'll see how things go. Talk about songs, the lyrics of very popular songs that mm, don't necessarily mean what you think. The lyrics have been misconstrued. They've been misinterpreted over the years. And we've got several high-profile Artists who have set the record straight, certainly not with us. We want to give a shout out to our friends at CNN for doing this compilation. They're celebrating music on Thursday, and I can't wait to see this. Uh, The original series is called Soundtracks, Songs That Defined History. It premieres Thursday at 9 o'clock. Uh, here in Winnipeg on CNN. They did that History of Comedy series. I think it was five different shows that was outstanding. So this, if this is anywhere close to as good, it'll be well worth your time to invest. Yeah, that's a good uh, note for sure. And the next song on the list, the one that we told you we were going to do next, is a song you would know. Imagine by John Lennon. Greg, CNN says people usually think that it is about a gentle musing on peace and global unity. But it's really about... Mm, This is according to Lenin himself. Radical revolutionary ideas on how to achieve that peace. Imagine's melody may be sweet, but its message is not. Lenin, who released this song in 1971, said Imagine is virtually the communist manifesto. Wow. And there'll be people out there going, I knew it! I'm not. <laughs> well, if you're saying that, you're correct. Even though I'm not particularly a communist and I do not belong to any movement, 
Lenin wanted to see a world in which the divisions of country and religion didn't exist and thought that some have viewed uh, this as dangerous thinking. But you wouldn't know that his lyrics were controversial by the reception of the song. Now, understand what you have to do, Lenin said, after Imagine became one of the most popular tracks in the United States. Put your political message across with a little honey. (laughs) That's a fair, that is a fair... uh Description, and I think maybe that's the reason why a lot of songs sort of get masked with this kind of rainbows and bubblegum sound, like our next song on the list, list, for example. Here's a tune you would probably recognize. Semi Charm Life by Third Eye Blind. Greg's dancing right it's now. It's kind of bouncy, right? Yeah. It's kind of joyful and it's tuned. People usually think this is about the desire to rise above the pitfalls of life. Who doesn't like that message? Yeah, it's a great message. Yeah, if only that was the message intended in the song. It's actually about drug addiction. Oh my gosh. Uh, crystal meth, I believe. Uh, if I'm not, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's about. If this is a song from the, the late 90s. And it may be to blame for listeners who missed the very clear references to drug use in this upbeat track. Frontman Stephen Jenkins told Billboard in 1997 that the song's seemingly optimistic and sunny sound is intentional, but deceptive for many fans. He Quote, it's a dirty, filthy song about snorting speed and uh, other getting things. other, other things. things. Uh, and it's meant to evoke the, quote, bright, shiny feeling you get on speed. And it says he thinks it's funny that it gets played on the radio. So, well, I don't, I'm not sure why he would think it's funny. It's well because he knows what it's about. Yeah. And so the joke is on everyone who thinks that it's about something like sunshine and lollipops. Yes. Uh, next up is a song called "American Pie." Something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Don McLean. People people usually think that this song is about having some sort of whiskey-fueled karaoke night with friends. In other words, people really don't have any idea what it's about. What is it about, Greg? It's about the end of an era. And I think some people have picked up on this over the years because I've seen this quote in many a yearbook, high school yearbook, as, you know, some quote from this book, but most people don't, don't understand what it's about. Artist Don McLean has said the tragic 1959 plane crash that killed rock star Buddy Holly inspired him to write the enduring 1971 release American Pie. But the day the music died is just one element of the song. The lyrics had to do with the state of society at the time, McLean said in an early interview according to The Guardian. In 2015, McLean put all 16 pages of America, American Pie's lyrical manuscript up for auction at Christie's, which commemorated that, quote, there is something about this song that captures the era of that period, and there is a kind of innocence to it, a loss of innocence in America. It's a statement McLean has agreed with. According to The Guardian, American Pie speaks to the loss of, that we feel, the UK paper reports. That's why that song has found the niche that it has. It's funny that they that they describe the song as people thinking it's about some sort of whiskey-fueled karaoke night with friends. I remember I was on a, a ski trip in somewhere in Manitoba. I always forget where it was. Was it's, it Mount Agassiz? 
I'll have to ask. Was my, it Holiday Mountain? There no, are only so many options. I know, Brett I know, and I always, I always forget. I'll have to figure it out. But anyway, we ended up at the in the local watering hole, mm. and uh, I don't remember much. That happened after we walked in, but I do remember that song playing. And do you remember singing it? Yep. With a drink in your hand? Yep. And that's why people think that's what that song is about, because typically that's where they indulge in that song, is with a group of friends at the end of the night. It usually comes on just before a journey song, typically Don't Stop believing when everybody <laughs> proves that they can't sing a lick. And it doesn't matter because it's 4.55 a.m., all the booze is gone, and it's time to go home. So it's right before closing time? Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know this is easy, right? This is about being at the bar, and the, da- uh, the DJ will say, it's time to get nice and close. Find that special one. Get on the dance floor. It's the last chance for romance. Our last song of the night. That's how they. Well, hey, right? it was it's a, about the two o'clock scramble. Is what it's about. That's what people think it's about. It's actually about. And I, I had no idea. It was. It's actually about childbirth. Oh, great! In the category of most misunderstood songs, this is the from CNN. This one is a classic unto itself. But Semisonic's Dan Wilson says that he understands why so many people miss the message of the 1998 hit. At first, he too thought it was going to be a song about closing up shop. I was initially trying to write a song to end the Semisonic shows with, he admitted in 2010. So I set out to write a new closer for the set, and I just thought, oh, closing time, because all the bars that I would frequent in Minneapolis would yell out closing time. And I guess that always stuck in my mind. But partway into the writing of the song, I realized it was also about being born. My wife and I were expecting our very first kid soon after I wrote that song. I had birth on the brain. I was struck by what a funny pun it was to be bounced from the womb. <laughs> I still don't believe him. <laughs> you think he was just coming up with something else? Yep. To I think it? it's totally about the two o'clock hookup. That's what I. That's exactly <laughs> what I think it's about, and I'm going with that. I say balderdash well, and that's to what... this explanation. I don't care that it's from the songwriter himself, Dan Wilson, a semi-sonic. Well, and that's one of the great things about art or songs even if you know that it's about one thing it can mean something completely different to you right that's fair enough and that i'm pretty sure artists will say well you know what i never thought of my work being interpreted that way but if that's what it's done for you great we're going to continue this conversation after global news at 130 on 680 cjob 134 monday afternoon if you're enjoying easter monday good on you if you're working hard or hardly working on the job today <laughs> Congratulations to you, too. Your work week starts now. It's a five-day work week. I have no better news than that for you. Going <laughs> to the end of the week. Sorry. <laughs> I've become one of these 9 to 5, Monday to Friday guys. I'm not used to it. I'm still getting used to it. It's not anything that I've done for years and years. So you'll have to forgive my uh, cynicism well, from how, time to time. How? What, what, maybe, maybe very just briefly explain how is that... That you weren't one of those guys. Right? Because I was always filling in here yep. at various shifts, yep. sometimes at the last moment. And then, of course, I had uh, projects I was doing on the side. And sometimes those uh, could be put on hold when I needed to be here or they would start early or I work on them in the evening. And uh, picking up and, and taking my kids to school was kind of the focus of my day lots of days. So okay. uh, it's kind of neat to be uh, in the nine to five world again. Uh, he's Brett. I'm Greg. And we're talking. Talking about songs, lyrics to which uh, 
might not necessarily mean exactly what you thought they did. And Sarah is a loyal listener who sent us a text message about this song. It's I Am The Walrus from the group you may have heard of, The Beatles. Sarah says, I have heard that The Beatles got tired of people trying to analyze the meaning behind all their songs, which is why they wrote I Am The Walrus. That's interesting. Cuckoo cachoo at you too, Brett McGarry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here is from a website, songfacts.com, that quotes John Lennon in an article written and presented in Playboy magazine. See, sometimes it was worthwhile reading the articles. (laughs) I like the articles. John Lennon wrote this song as stated in the DVD composing the Beatles songbook. John was throwing together nonsense lyrics to mess with the heads of scholars trying to dissect the Beatles songs. They also mentioned that it's John's answer to Bob Dylan's quote unquote, getting away with murder style of songwriting. Really? Yes. Lennon told Playboy years later that I can write that crap too, which is rarely mentioned in relation to this song. Wow. So thank you, Sarah. I can write that crap too. Mm-hmm. Shots fired. Well, you and I both admitted we're not really fans of Bob Dylan and his song stylings. His songwriting, completely different story. I'm. You know what? I, yeah, I guess so. For I would, me. For yeah. me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to speak for you. I do that from time to <laughs> well, time. Well, see, the problem is I, I don't know that I, I don't know his music catalog enough so if someone were to perform a song and then you said, oh, that's a Bob Dylan song, by the way, I might go, oh, okay. I, I don't know. Sure. I, I learned something today. Well, as Jeff told us, I think it was last week, right, that it was, wasn't until other performers and other singers started performing his music that Dylan actually became popular and became very relevant, so... We're, and we're talking about this, by the way, because of this uh, article on CNN. That song doesn't mean what you think. This was posted just earlier today, and it's sort of a, a tee-up, a tease, as it were, for this new series that they're going to debut on Thursday night at 9 o'clock, CNN original series, Soundtracks, Songs That Defined History. So I am going to assume that they're going to be doing all sorts of musical-related stuff on their website and on the network leading up to this. And there we've gone through a handful of songs so far, songs that you know, You're Beautiful by James Blunt. A lot of people use it as their wedding song. It's actually about a guy who is really high <laughs> while he's on the subway and is stalking a woman while she's with her boyfriend. So it's not a romantic song. Scratch that off the list for your uh, social song, your first song <laughs> of the night. Actually, And actually, you know what? Before we continue to go through this list, let me just divert for a moment here to the side because that reminds me of this song. Song. Goes An- to the machine. Another the common. Yeah, it's another common wedding song. It's about stalking. It's an, about an obsessive stalker. Great. Great. So, Great. yeah, if you like this song or this was your wedding song and didn't know that, sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, that's fairly, fairly common knowledge, though, although I did catch you by surprise. I did not it? know that. I mean, it makes sense now that you mention it and I listen a little bit closer, but no, you know, Sting. Tantric sex, uh, yes, but stalking, not so much. <laughs> Does it change your, what does it do for your perception of the song that you've known for? And God, how old is this song? Well, it's, third, it's 1978, I think. It's 30 years, I think, uh, next year, if I'm not mistaken. 78? I think it's 78, yeah. That would be 40. Don't do that to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm not. I'm not correcting your math. Yeah, no, you're to, right. You're right. Trying to make you feel older. Yeah, I guess. and that that completely worked. I know I would have been in grade seven, so 1983, so 35 years. I would. Uh, that would be my guess. We'll have to look that up. Uh, the bottom line on this song is it's still great. I don't care what he was oh, saying it's about. A, it's a fabulous song. It doesn't mm. matter if the message is positive or negative. It's a great song. Other songs in this list that we've already covered. Uh, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Imagine by John Lennon. Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. American Pie, Don McLean. Closing Time by Semi-Sonic. And then that leads into this next tune by Green Day. So take the photographs and still frames in your mind. Time of Your Life, a.k.a. Good Riddance by Green Day. This is a song that people usually think it's about offering someone best wishes for their future. But it's really about what? Mm, Telling an ex-girlfriend not to let the door hit her on the way out. (laughs) Billy Joe Armstrong, pretty good at the breakup. Much better than me at the breakup. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, you just stop communicating with them. That's right. Feel free to continue to play this track at high school reunions, going away parties, and college graduation celebrations. As long as you know, the song's full title begins with good riddance. Yes, of course, it's in brackets, right? So we forget about that. Well, actually, time of your life is in brackets. Good riddance is right out there, but we choose to embrace the time of your life part. Green Day's Billy Joe Armstrong once explained that it was inspired not by hope but anger. I wrote the song about an ex-girlfriend who moved to Ecuador, he said, Mm. and I was really bitter at the time. Well, Mm -hmm. that's tough. Thanks a lot, Billy Joe. But it is a nice song, and it's funny because this is another song that I really had no idea. Even had I sat down to to truly listen to it, I don't know that the message would have been so obvious. Another song on this list, the next one that CNN presents, is Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. So people often think that it's about being in love, but it's really about abortion mm-hmm. with lyrics like, I want to wake up where you are and I'll do anything you ever dreamed to be complete. It's understandable if you overlooked the references to abortion in this 90s hit. Exhibit A, don't you love the life you killed? Oh, and there, the lyric was just played now. The priest is on the phone. Your father hit the wall. Your ma disowned you. I got to tell you, Greg, I listened to this song a whole bunch of times in the 90s. It was a popular radio hit. It got played on the speaker, I think, for our music service when I worked at Taco Bell. It was one of the songs that probably got played over and over and over and over again. Never picked up on that. No, uh, Goo Goo Dolls lead singer Johnny Resnick said that uh, this was actually about these two Catholic teenage kids and the girlfriend gets pregnant. They're trying to decide whether she should get an abortion or they should get married or what should go on. And I don't think a lot of people got that. It's actually kind of a heavy song. That was a conversation Resnick had in uh, 2002 with the VH1 Storytellers, which was a great series, great way to get the insight on a lot of these uh, great songs. By the way, Ghost of the Machine by the police mm-hmm. was right in between 78 and 83, <laughs> October 2nd, 1981. Oh, there you go. Oh, 1981. Um, That's the math. Uh, 36 years then in October. Is yes. that right? Good for you, Greg. Thank you, Brett. If you have any suggestions, by the way, 204-780-6868. It's the number to call, the number to text. You mentioned uh, reading the CNN article here where they talk about Slide 
being a song that's actually kind of heavy. And that reminds me of a song. It's not on the list, but it does remind me of a, one of my favorite songs, actually, of all time by Foster the People. Better run, better outrun my gun. Better run, better run, faster than my bullet. This is a song that I think maybe is the most popcorny kind of bubblegum happy pop songs. Just put it on and just can imagine just walking down the street, ah, smiling away. And then I, I think that's exactly what happened. I was walking home listening to this song and I finally stopped to listen to the lyrics. And I thought, holy crap, this is a dark song. It's about, and in fact, it is a song that was written about uh, adolescent mental unwellness, mental health issues, about this kid who's got psychotic thoughts and finds his dad's gun in the closet and wants to use it on his classmates. It's oh really my. Oh, great. Excellent. So it's, you won't it's, listen to that song again the same because I heard the story behind it as well. And I have continued to not hear the song the same way. In fact, I think I turn it off. Really? When I hear it now, knowing what the uh, actual meaning of the song is. Jeff Forche working controls today. You took a call from one of our loyal listeners, Doug, today. Darren. Oh, oh, sorry. Darren? Darren. Okay. So Darren correcting us on our police trivia here. Every breath you take wasn't from Ghost in the Machine. It was from... Synchronicity. Which was released in... 1983. All right. There we go. We got to put it all together there. Oh, and Kevin the Garbage Man just texted as you were saying that. Just texted us to say the same thing. So thank you for helping us wade through those murky waters. We're going to continue this conversation. If you have any suggestions, by the way, for songs that are either misunderstood or just, quite frankly, misquoted for their lyrical content, 204-780-6868. We'll tell you what wraps up, what rounds out this list from CNN after your forecast up next. 149 on this Monday afternoon, having a little bit of fun this first hour of the week with you. We're talking about music and the lyrics that you may or may not have known represent certain ideals. And uh, we got a text at 7806868. Think of the lyrics of White Wedding by Billy Idol. And why wouldn't you? It's a great song. Oh, I I wanted to turn it up, not mute it. (laughs) Despite rumors to the contrary, this song is not about Idol's actual little sister. Little sister is slang for girlfriend. He's singing about a woman or a girl he loves marrying someone else while he still loves her. Idol did have a sister who was getting married, but on an episode of VH1 Storytellers, he explained that his sister's wedding simply gave him the idea for the song, and like many of his compositions he started with the title and wrote the song from there great song fantastic song billy idol has some fabulous music so thank you for that suggestion and the reason why we're talking about this conversation it was inspired by an article that cnn posted today called that song doesn't mean what you think as they get ready for this new show that they're debuting on thursday at 9 o'clock called Soundtracks, Songs That Defined History. So we're close to the end of the list. We have three more songs to go that we wanted to share with you from this list. And we're going to start with one that required uh, some editing because it's from one Ice Cube. 
I gotta go cause I got me a drop top And if I hit the switch, I can make the ass drop Had to stop Really sure what he could have been saying there. Mm, I have no idea, Brett Gary. The song's called It Was a Good Day. And people usually think that this song from 1992 is about an epic 24 hours that took place in either November 1988 or January 1992. But, Greg, it's really about... It's kind of simple. The dream of having a day without police harassment and gun violence. Ice Cube is such a talented storyteller that when he rhymed about a day in which he hooked up with a girl, watched some MTV... Grubbed on Fatburger, new Fatburger in Winnipeg, by the way, out in your old stomping grounds, yep. uh, to digress, and didn't have to use his AK, meaning his AK-47. Some apparently thought that these were actual sequential events in 2012. The internet took these theories to the next level and tried to deduce the actual day being referenced in the 1992 single. Uh, single pardon me. But as the artist himself has explained, it was a good day is completely fictional, which makes its lyrics that much more heartbreaking. In between the commentary on girls and fast food, Ice Cube makes pointed references to what a day would be like without gun violence and police harassment. No helicopter looking for a murder. Nobody I know got killed in South Central L.A. Saw the police and they rolled right past me. No flexing. In other words, basically my interpretation of what a great day would be, according to Ice Cube. It's interesting. We just got a text at 7806868, Bridge Over Troubled Water. We're not going there, but we're going pretty close. It's a Paul Simon song. Oh, yes. And that Paul Simon song is this. It just don't work out that way. In the course of a lifetime runs. So most people think this song is about the intense connection between a mother and her offspring. <laughs> Nothing as deep as that, Brett. Mother and Child Reunion is actually about Chinese food? What? <laughs> Paul Simon's 1972 tune had a hook that sang of a strange and mournful day when the Mother and Child Reunion is only a motion away. Naturally, most listeners assume that the legend must be speaking on a familial relationship, one that apparently had soured since the reunion was both strange and mournful. But in reality, Simon was singing about a chicken and egg dish at his local Chinese restaurant. <laughs> According to Snopes, Simon explained his inspiration in a 1972 interview. I was eating in a Chinese restaurant downtown, and there was a dish called Mother and Child Reunion. It's chicken and eggs. And I said, oh, I love that title. I got to use that one. <laughs> so you just started with the title, and way went and got misconstrued along the way. I guess it's not as emotional as we thought. And there is one more tune on this CNN list from uh, Rockin' Woman. Joan Jett, Bad Reputation. People usually think this is about a general anthem for rebels, but it's really about... A little more personal than that. It's... About Joan Jett fighting past rejection when Joan Jett declared in the early 1980s that she doesn't give a damn about a bad reputation. She was stating for the record that she wouldn't let rejection stop her. Jett originally originally uh, recorded the song around 1979 as she launched her solo career following the breakdown of her band The Runaways. A lot of bad reputation came from comments that people said in the early days of she'll never make it. Uh, Jet explained in a 2013 Reddit AMA, while the song was never released as a single, that surprised me, it became iconic anyway as the titular track from Jet's first album, an album she initially had to self-release. Why? Because, get this, 23 
Record labels turned her down. <laughs> you morons. <laughs> no kidding. That's, that's not from the article here. That's my editorialization. Inspiration comes from all sorts of places, Jet said, and you have to decide that it's not worth all that mental anguish worrying about what other people think. So that concludes the CNN list. Once again, the the headline, That Song Doesn't Mean What You Think, in case you want to look that up. And they've got this new show coming up on Thursday called Soundtracks, Songs That Defined History. Here's a song that... uh, I always just I know I, I never I know that it's not what it says, but I always hear one thing when I know it's actually another from this familiar tune. I always hear there's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> Someone said it to me once and now I can't, you can't unhear. unhear it. Yep. So every time I hear that song, it's oh, there's a bathroom on the right. How about this one? Okay. This is this is one that oh I tell the story all the time. Whenever a clash song comes on. Okay. And usually this is the one that gets played. Uh-huh. It's Rock the Casbah. Yes. We all know that, right? Yep. I'm at the bar one night and this song is on, and my friend Jenea is on the dance floor and she's going crazy and she's singing along. And I'm reading her lips. And I'm thinking, she's not singing the right words. <laughs> so I casually saunter up to her and I whisper near, Janae, what are you singing? She says I'm singing, Lucking, with an F, Asphalt. What? <laughs> lucking, not lucking, Asphalt. No, that's not what they're singing. And how did she get that? I'm not exactly sure. Self-interpretation, I suppose. <laughs> So now I can never, ever, it's been 20 plus years, I can never hear that song the same again. We'll try to get to some of your suggestions as we move through the afternoon on Mackling and McGarry, but we do need to pause for your forecast and after that, or for the news actually, and then we're going to switch gears and talk about 13 Reasons Why on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry, he is Greg Mackling. Still to come at 2.30, we are going to be joined by a couple of Winnipeg social media superstars who also have a very successful cake business. Jenna Ray Cakes will be joining us in studio to talk about divorce cakes and this amusing trend that is starting to take shape. But in the meantime, before we get into that and have some fun, we do want to tackle a serious subject. It's about a television show that is currently on Netflix called 13 Reasons Why. Hey, it's Hannah. Hannah Baker. Settle in, because I'm about to tell you the story of my life. More specifically, why my life ended. And if you're listening to this tape, you're one of the reasons why. It's a powerful series of programs, 13, surprise, surprise, and uh, I was hooked from probably a half hour into the first episode. I've watched them all now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric Kane of Forbes magazine, he's a contributor there. He did an article, 13 Reasons Why, 13 Reasons Why should be your next Netflix uh, Netflix binge, pardon me. And I'm just going to read the first couple of sentences from his article, 13 Reasons Why is Netflix's first attempt to offer up serious, engaging drama for its teenage audience, tackling such weighty issues as school bullying and suicide. But it's a show that grown-ups can enjoy just as much, if not more, than teens. After all, we've left the chaotic, hormonal world of high school behind us and can look back on it with a slightly more objective perspective, hopefully, 
All that drama and craziness we went through during high school seems a lot less important now. But watching 13 Reasons Why, I'm reminded of how enormous every little problem seemed at the time. Joining us to discuss this and the title of her piece is Netflix's 13 Reasons Why is an irresponsible dramatization of teenage suicide. Suicide is a difficult topic to tackle without being sensationalist or reductive, but 13 Reasons Why manages to fall into both of these categories at once. Neha Shaw joins us from Great Britain. Neha, are you in London or somewhere else in Great Britain? Uh, I'm in London at the moment. Well, thank you for taking some time with us. This program has genuinely become a phenomenon. Are, are you bothered by how popular it's become? Um, no, not by how popular it's become. Um, I mean, given the extent of the dramatization and given the issues it tackles, I think it's certainly good that it's become popular. I just think it's a, a real shame that something that could have been used to tackle suicide, to tackle sexual assault, to tackle bullying in meaningful ways for a teenage audience hasn't been able to do that. What could they have done differently in your estimation, Neha? Well, um, I think the first thing for me would be the whole thing is just too long. And the product of that is that you've got all of these teenagers who... um, Sorry, spoiler alert for anyone listening who hasn't quite seen it. Um, By the end of it, you find out that all of these teenagers, all of the um, people who Hannah Baker has left her tapes to, have actually been covering up for not only themselves, but also for a boy who turns out to essentially be a a serial rapist. Um, And to me, that's not believable. Um, And I think it's, it's somewhat insulting to both the intelligence and the integrity of teenagers today but to suggest that in order to cover up for misdemeanors on their own part but misdemeanors in the sense of stopping hanging out with a friend or um kind of climbing social climbing in the in a way that happens at at all if not well if at most if not all high schools um to to then kind of To put that on the same level as covering up for sexual assault, I think, is, um, I mean, a pretty poor representation of teenagers today. Um, And I think in part that's because they've tried to prolong, they've tried to make what is, uh, I think, 288-page book fit into 13 hours of television. And that's just not really possible. Neha Shaw is a writer. Her work appears in things like The Independent, Huffington Post, United Kingdom. We have reached her in London today talking about Netflix's 13 Reasons Why, which is about a group of high school students as they piece together a story as it is described on a series of cassette tapes left for them by their classmate, Hannah Baker, who has died by suicide. The fact that the show is 13 hours, which you say is too long, do you think that it would have been better served uh, as a movie or perhaps, uh, say, like a like a six-episode miniseries versus 13? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I see what they've tried to do, um, and it does... Having 13 episodes does present the view, especially on Netflix, where you can view them all at once if you want to, does present the reader with an interesting... Oh, the viewer, sorry, with an interesting paradox in a way, because you can sit there and you can... You can 
do what most of the teenagers in the thing in the show do, which is watch all thirteen in one go, or you can do what Clay, the protagonist, does and watch bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, I, I I think a six episode miniseries would have been much better. I mean, I don't think there's enough material in the book for for any more than yeah, sort of three four hours of television. Well, you mentioned the fact that you you uh, you know don't like the way it glosses over to a certain extent the uh, nuance of teenage mental illness, and I have to say I probably agree with you on that because. It tends to shift the focus and the blame on what has happened to Hannah and the decision that she makes to take her own life onto other people. It doesn't really talk a whole lot about what's going on in her own mind, just this mystery that's created by these tapes that she's left behind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as I mentioned in my piece, um, they don't even give kind of a token mention to the word depression. It's completely ignored um and whilst there is a lot of evidence to suggest that bullying can be a direct contribution to suicide it's more often um accompanied by some form of mental illness and i think it's particularly at a time when mental illness rates above teenage uh, um of well rates of mental illness in teenagers are so high um i think it's a, a real shame that that wasn't kind of discussed at all Neha, I have um, I haven't seen. Sorry to interrupt, but I haven't seen this show yet. Uh, I do intend to watch it, but I'm curious. Uh, is it? Do you think that maybe they they've glossed over it because they're trying to make the show sort of serious, but also still appealing to teenagers? So they feel like they have to. Does it come off like it's trying to toe a line where we're going to make this kind of glamorous and cool, but yet sort of serious? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there is definitely an element of that. Um, but having said that, they're trying. What it seems to me like they're trying to do is tackle teen issues. They're tackling um, cyberbullying. They're talking about like um, compromising photos being sent around a school. They're talking about um, well, yeah, they're talking about sexual assault. Um, they're talking about all of these things that teenagers are dealing with at the moment, and mental illness is very much one of them. And I think a lot of teenagers who are watching this show would have related to it in that sense. Um, but it is a very difficult topic to tackle. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure part of why they've chosen not to go down that route is in order to try and still kind of make it appealing. You know, I, I'll agree with you on the depression side, but in terms of sexual assault... They have made this very real. It is very upsetting. Uh, it's uh, graphic without being gratuitous, in my opinion. And to me, that may be the more uh, difficult subject matter and maybe the topic that this series of shows, that this series highlights. Yeah, I agree with you um, in that sense. I think the sexual assault scenes have been done well. Um, and I think they certainly will they certainly will spark conversation which is definitely a good thing um, yeah so I completely agree with you on that front I just I think my issue with the whole manner in which sexual assault is portrayed in the film is not so much with the actual assault 
but with, in terms of reactions to it and the idea to me that the the idea to me that some of the teenagers on the first few tapes um, who have at the end of the day really not done that much wrong would protect themselves whilst I mean allowing a serial rapist to walk free doesn't ring true to me of teenagers that I know or teenagers that I knew when I was that age. Um, it just, it doesn't seem to me like that would actually, it, it doesn't seem real. Well, Neha, one more question before we let you go. Uh, you're in London. Absolutely. So you, uh, do you watch the show Broadchurch? No, I've actually never seen Broadchurch, okay. um, but it's definitely on my list. Oh, well, the reason I bring it up is because this particular third season that is uh, on right now and wrapping up next week here in Canada, I think it's actually just wrapped up on your side of the pond. But it, it is currently, the, the crime of the season is a sexual assault, and the way that they've handled it uh, is, I think, quite good. Uh, so, But because you haven't seen it, I guess my question sort of goes out the window. Uh, but another general <laughs> comparison I can make then is... British television, I often find they don't. There's no need to make a show longer than it needs to be. Whereas in North America, we tend to make our shows too long. So the Netflix show being 13 episodes, if 13 Reasons Why was adapted in England, would probably be a lot shorter. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's an interesting comparison to make. Um, and I've definitely seen it in things like um, Pretty Little Liars, which has been i mean adapted from the books but turned into hours and hours of television when yeah the books don't really give much more than a few hours of con- um, kind of content so yeah i think you're right in that sense um and maybe it is a a cultural thing Neha, thank you for this. We appreciate uh, your article is outstanding. I'm going to retweet it for those to uh, consider before or after they've watched 13 Reasons Why. And we appreciate you uh, making yourself available to us this afternoon. Not at all. Thanks very much for having me on. And good luck with the rest of the show. We appreciate it very much. Neha Shah joining us from London, England. You know, some of the smaller messages in there and some of the bit parts that some of the other characters play. This is kind of a message I highlight with my uh, with my boys about how little things can turn into big things, which is why I maybe don't have the same take on as Neha with regard to the storyline of covering up for this individual who is essentially a, a, a serial um, rapist uh, at the high school because when you compromise yourself and you do things that you're not proud of, things that secrets that you've kept on a small scale, at least it seems like a small lie at the time, can turn into big things. Why don't we continue this conversation in a moment? We Absolutely. should probably should pause and check the forecast, and then we'll continue to chat about this new Netflix show that's been around, I believe it debuted March 31st. That would be accurate. Okay, so <laughs> right on. I uh, guessed correctly. We'll continue the chat after your forecast, which is up next. Congratulations, by the way, to Donald Roy our qualifier for the Predator Ridge trip, Okanagan bucket list flyaway to Predator Ridge. You can get all the details on that at cjob.com. Grand prize winner will be announced on April 28th. 
We just got off the phone with Neha Shaw. She was in London, and she's a writer for Huffington Post, the Independent. And we were talking about Netflix and their 13 Reasons Why. You don't know the whole story. What else do I need to know? You're just like the rest of them, but I'm not. Everyone is just so nice until they drive you to kill yourself. And sooner or later, the truth will come out. That's Clay Jensen. He's the protagonist in this in this show. 13 episodes. Some argue it's too long. I've watched all the episodes. I couldn't get enough of the story. I wanted to know why each of the individuals who were being talked about on each of the individual tapes, their cassette tapes, it's kind of a retro thing uh, that Hannah Baker puts together before she commits suicide. And, of course, this is a dramatization without question, right? Nobody's expecting that this is based on a true story. If it is, if someone's gone to this trouble before they've committed suicide, I am not aware of it. But when I look at the stories and the story behind the story and the little subplots within this, uh, these episodes, I just can't help but think of the conversation I have with my boys about how little lies, how little indiscretions can add up to really big deals. And I don't, here's a spoiler alert for you. One of the characters knocks down a stop sign, chooses not to call police about the stop sign being knocked down. It's at a, an intersection, a blind intersection, and within an hour of that stop sign being knocked down, there's a tragic accident that claims a life and also uh, radically changes the course of another person's life within the story. Well, this individual chooses to keep that secret till the very end of the series. And so it reminds me of a story that I tell my kids about my baby sister living in the country. And this is a true story. Her and her friend skip school to go to a movie in Brandon one day, an hour there, an hour back. Well, what happens while they're in the movie? Snowstorm. And because they're supposed to be in school and they've told no one they're going to Brandon to see this movie, what are they forced to do? They're forced to drive home in a snowstorm. They make it home safely. But I always talk about what could have happened if things had gone really wrong. And that little white lie forces you to tell tell a bunch of other lies and might ultimately cost you your life because you're not going about things the right way. So I think about all those little things when I was watching this series, which uh, I highly enjoyed. And I know a lot of parents are watching it with their teenagers to, to talk about the various subject matter covered in the program. The show is called 13 Reasons Why. It debuted on Netflix on March 31st. All 13 of the episodes are available. And one of the things that Neha Shaw, and we only have 60 seconds left here, so I'll just make this quick, but she was saying that it is too long. And even this Eric Kane, uh, who you pulled up this other article where he says 13 Reasons Why, 13 Reasons Why should be your next Netflix binge. Even he suggests it's maybe too long. I have generally found, and I have not watched all of Netflix's programming, so I can't comment But in general, from what I've seen so far from the shows that I have watched from Netflix, even Stranger Things, which was only eight episodes versus the usual 13, there are always too many episodes. So I'm curious to know about 13 Reasons Why, although I I was unable to make it through this half hour without a couple of major spoilers, so I don't know that I will bother watching it at this point, but I am, am still curious about it. But... Netflix, this, this is more of a TV criticism than a criticism on the subject matter in general. I think Netflix stuff is usually too long. But we will carry this conversation on another time. Up next, we're going to lighten things up and talk about cake. 
with Jenna Ray Cakes. Mm-kay. After the news on 680 CJOB. Martha Stewart, hi. Hello. I'm Caroline, and this is my business partner, Max, and we have a startup cupcake business. Dude, are you serious? You're still going for it? I know this is highly inappropriate, but we brought a cupcake here tonight in hopes that you might taste it. So you want me to taste your cupcake in the ladies' room. What's inappropriate about that? We're a startup business. We've got to take risks. This is Max. She's the baker. You're the baker. I'm the baker. Hmm. It looks quite appealing. Oh, my God. I know this is a social event, so I'm so sorry for making it about business. When you're in business for yourself, you have to take every situation as a business opportunity. Look, I have five of these in here. I love your magazine. I read every single issue until they realized I didn't even go to that doctor. Well, in spite of the fact that you have not yet washed your hands. I was just changing my dress in there. I'll taste it. You will? I like your entrepreneurial drive. And uh, I have a feeling that it's actually the only way I'm going to get out of here alive. Max and Carolyn, uh, one of my least favorite television programs, but it is still on the air. I think it's after seven years now. They corner Martha Stewart in a public washroom at a special event. And lots of great advice there and uh, sound business advice from Martha Stewart as we are going to talk about cake. For the next half an hour. So there, there was Martha Stewart reference. There was entrepreneurial reference and just kind of doing whatever you need to do to get ahead. That's why I played that clip and why it was a little bit extra long. I was wondering what the method behind the madness was there, but there's always a method that I should not doubt. Our guests are from Jenna Ray Cakes, which can be found on Academy Road at 5. 5- 80, did I get that right off the yes, top right. of my head? 580 <laughs> Academy Road. We're joined by Jenna Ray and Ashley Nicole, co-owners of Jenna Ray Cakes. Identical twin sisters, by the way. And I guess <coughs> the reason why we brought you in here sort of as a springboard into a general conversation about your business and your success is about divorce cakes. <laughs> so the, apparently this is a tasty and some would find hilarious new trend. You do custom cakes. Jenna, we'll start with you. Mm-hmm. You do custom cake orders. Is this something that has made its way into generate cakes yet? Not yet. We have yet to do a divorce cake. We've done plenty of wedding cakes and plenty of custom cakes that are bizarre in their own right, but not that yet. <laughs> so bizarre in their own right. Yes. Now I'm intrigued. Tell us more. <laughs> well, once I had to make a head from someone's tattoo, so turn a 2D object into a 3D object, so that was interesting. And then just random ones. There was one with like a taxi crashing into a hashtag. It was, I don't know. I don't ask questions. I just do. There's a lot of inside <laughs> jokes. Yeah, a lot of inside jokes. Mm-hmm. So if someone were to come to you and say, I'm getting a divorce, I need a, or are my friends getting a divorce? Can you make me a cake? Is that something that you would say no to? I guess, Ashley, I'll direct that to you. Oh, it's not our position to judge. People get cakes for all sorts of occasions. And I guess if it's a happy occasion that they need a cake to celebrate. Yeah, why not? <laughs> So social media and the power of social media has been integral in your rise as a business, I imagine. How many followers have you got on Instagram? We just hit 165,000 a couple days ago, actually. That's a huge number. Congratulations on that. Uh, Why do you think you are hitting these kind of stratospheric numbers? Well, it's not. I mean, I guess when we first started, we just kind of I'm a photo stylist by trade. So I really like photography and design and I. Uh, like to curate our feed and I think that 
a lot of businesses maybe overlook that a little bit. It is an extension of your brand. You shouldn't just be posting what you had for lunch and a picture of your cat and then maybe something from your business. It should be branded and well thought out. And that's the approach we've taken for the last three years. So it's been a steady climb and mm-hmm. we work hard at it. I spend tons of hours a week just on Instagram and scheduling. So it's it's not a... Uh, mistake. <laughs> well, and you, I mean, you're, you're, I appreciate you, the modesty here, but you were singled out by, as Greg played in that clip, by one Martha Stewart. Yeah, yeah. that was amazing. When did <laughs> that, that happen? Milestone. Oh. Um, well, my wedding was featured recently in the magazine, um, in the winter issue. Okay. So, and then we went there on a trip last May. So we met uh, the wedding editor there and got a tour of the office. We saw Martha Stewart's office, but she wasn't there, unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> Would have cornered her with a cupcake for sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and then, and, I guess, two years ago, we got named as the top Instagram to follow for wedding cakes, along with, like, my idol. So that was huge for us. Mm-hmm. And then since then, they've named us as one of the seven women changing the wedding industry. And also, most recently, something else as well. We just got um, too, many acc- too many accolades to, <laughs> yeah. to completely remember and keep track of. Well, good for you. Do you send your cakes outside of Winnipeg? This must be a, a, a more of a, a local thing. I don't know. Can yeah. you send a wedding cake that very far? Tough. It's hard enough to get it home safely or, or to would, the wedding yeah. venue, right? I think it would need its own seat on an airplane. So that would yeah, be deliveries are very, very stressful just within the city limits. So, <laughs> um, I've heard some cake designers I follow, like Maggie Austin. She's huge. She does the wedding cakes in Tokyo and stuff. She's based in Washington and she flies her cakes out there. I'm not sure. I, w- I don't know if I could ever take that on. It seems like a huge risk and a lot of work, but um, we're starting to look into shipping macarons. So that, that's our next kind of That's our step. first step. Yeah. What is a macaron? A macaron is a, it's a little French pastry cookie, basically. So it's two almond meringue shells and, and we do our fillings. It's a mixture of ganache, buttercream, caramels, Candy, that kind of thing. Well, why don't you just pass us over one of those? As a subtle shot there. <laughs> Brett and I decided not to eat lunch in the off no, chance no. that you know where we're teasing you completely. <laughs> this is an exciting thing. Uh, entrepreneurship is something that Brett and I highlight quite often on our program. We like to speak with local entrepreneurs that have taken the next step and have been open for a while, or maybe they're just brand new. What has been the key for you to, you know, you're entering year three. And I mean, that typically for a lot of businesses indicates you you could be here maybe for as long as you want to be, as long as you continue to be doing uh, the things that you've been doing to get to this point. Yeah, knock on wood. That's that's the plan. I think mm-hmm. we're constantly trying to get better. So even when we think we've perfected something, whether it's Instagram or a recipe, we're always looking for ways to improve um, I think it's really important to never get complacent and comfortable. You have to keep striving to be, especially with Instagram and so many creative people out there. Everyone's doing such neat things all the time. They're always pushing the envelope. And I think that keeps everyone competitive, which is which is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So it's named after you, Jenna, even though yes. Jenna Ray and Ashley Nicole here, mm-hmm. it's Jenna Ray Cakes. Mm-hmm. So was this something where you kind of just thought, I really like making cakes. Uh, how, do, how do I turn this into a business? Is yeah. that what happened? So I started making cakes, I think it was 2010 or 11 was the first cake I ever made, like fondant. And I was watching Cake Boss and I was like, I could probably do that. So I went out and bought a bunch of stuff and just started making them, putting them on Facebook for friends and stuff. And then I started getting orders from friends and then I started getting orders from people I didn't know. And then that kind of spiraled. So I rented a kitchen overnight and I was doing that for years and it was 
exhausting and not profitable at all. So I was like, I either have to go in this all the way or stop. So I decided to get a bakery. <laughs> and it turned, it got, I was very, very lucky. And then Ashley was always on board with my um, business cards and logo and website. And then as soon as she could come on board, she did. That was always the plan. We just didn't think it'd be that fast. <laughs> yeah, the... Um the idea for the bakery when Jenna first opened was just so she would have a place to display her cakes, meet with people coming in to talk about cakes, and then maybe sell a few treats throughout the day to pay rent. But it's it turned out to be way busier than we could have ever imagined. So mm-hmm. now, now we're a full-fledged bakery. <laughs> yeah. So is that a, a product of not having too high of expectations at the beginning and just having the idea that the uh, few extra quote-unquote <laughs> treats would help supplement the rent as opposed to opening up the bakery and going, I got to sell 600 cookies every single day or we're not going to make it. Yeah, yeah. that would have been I terrifying. think in my business plan, I was like, we'll sell 12 cupcakes a day and 18 <laughs> macarons. We sold it in like two minutes. Yeah, it was a mix of <laughs> low expectations and not knowing what we were doing. But it yeah, worked out well. It all worked out. You just have to go with the flow. And <laughs> I think the important thing is that I loved it. I still love it, obviously. I was very passionate about it and I would work 18-hour days didn't care at all. And I still do. So I think that's a huge part of it to be passionate about it and also know that what you do is good and people out there aren't really doing what you're doing. I think lots of people are home bakers and it's a hobby, but to actually take it to the next step, you need like having Ashley as my business partner is essential. And I think that's what makes it so different is because I have the cakes and stuff and then she has everything else. And to find that connection, I think in other bakeries, it'd be really tough. We're going to pause our conversation with Jenna Ray Cakes. Jenna Ray is here. She is the self-taught cake designer and her identical twin sister, Ashley Nicole, and photo stylist. And actually, we and I, the identical twin isn't necessarily relevant, but Greg and I <laughs> have connections to twins as well. So that's oh, why okay. it's of interest to the both of us. So we'll continue our chat with Jenna Ray Cakes after your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Our guests in studio are Jenna Ray and Ashley Nicole from Jenna Ray Cakes at 580 Academy. You can follow them on Instagram. They've got 164,000 followers, and with good reason. The feed every time—I actually have a hard time looking at it without uh, getting really hungry and wanting to race down to the bakery. And— the subject of the number of bakeries in Winnipeg is one that I wanted to get to before I forget. I live on Corden, and I like to walk up to Osborne Village. And mm-hmm. just in like that 45-minute walk, there is five, six, seven places that are either bakeries or at least deal in some sort of pastries or desserts. Mm-hmm. So how, I guess, Jenna, I'll ask you, how is there room for all of these places to ex- not only exist but be so successful? Um, I think everyone kind of does their own thing and specializes in what makes them unique. And I think that's kind of the important part when you're starting a bakery is making sure that you have something that no one else has. And I think there's room for everything, everybody in the city. And there's a lot of support, which is nice for local businesses. So I think as long as you differ in some way, then you'll be okay. Ashley, Nicole, the whole idea of I used to own a restaurant. And so I always talk and give the advice about opening a restaurant just because you like to cook or maybe you like to provide hospitality, don't count on that being the thing you do the most of, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that draws you into the business ultimately ends up being the thing you do the least amount of (laughs) because you're hiring, managing Mm -hmm. uh, individuals, you're taking care of payroll, you're dealing with the accountant, the government. Mm -hmm. And so your role that you originally designed for yourself ends up being minimized. Mm -hmm. How have you managed to wrap your head around that? And then the 
idea of, I mean, you have such a great partner here, yes. Generay, the yeah. idea of having someone that can expressly focus really on the marketing side of it. Yeah. Uh, that, is that what makes us the perfect partnership? I think so. Yes, I was I'm say, a terrible business person. Yeah, I would say like you needed Jenna and Jenna says you needed Ashley to run a business because we're just a good, good balance because I, I like being very organized and I like thinking ahead and Jenna hates change. So every time I want to implement a new process, she's like, no. And then the, the next day she's like, okay, we can try it. But um, I've always said like, I just want to make cakes. That's all yeah. I want to do. I'm not, I don't like dealing with the numbers and staffing and hours and stuff. I just want to focus on what I love to do and what I'm good at. And yeah. I think that's why we work so well together because it took a while. I was still doing everything else for it a long time. It took a while. I'd say it probably took a year and a half, at least maybe closer to two, for us to settle into our, the roles we wanted for ourselves, which, I mean, in the long run isn't very long. And we, we're lucky because of that. But mm-hmm. um, for the first part, we were doing a bit of everything all the time, so we didn't really get a focus on what we what we wanted to do. For me, it was design and photo styling and Jenna was just cakes. Mm -hmm. So now I feel like we've established those roles for ourselves a bit more and we are able to hire people to do the rest of it, which is, it's been a really good, healthy transition. Yeah. Well, and how many staff do you have now at the bakery after three years? Um, Now we have 13. I believe Mm -hmm. we just hired. And we're just heading into our busy season. So um, we'll probably Wedding season, I guess. Yeah. Yes, wedding season is very busy and just peeps, people leaving their houses yeah. <laughs> because it's nice out. So summer picks up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a second location, because you were telling us off air that you now have the second location, was that in the original business plan or or could you have ever really envisioned this idea of having to get so much bigger so quickly? No, when I was initially looking at spaces, I thought our bakery that I got was way too big for what we were doing. And then it turns out that it's tiny and we needed at least five times yeah. the space. So I, I had no idea. I think we went through six months of telling ourselves it'll, it will work. And we just added more shelves and more shelves and more shelves <laughs> for storage. And then we ran out of wall space. So we needed a, a bigger. Yeah. So now we have a commercial kitchen space. It's um, We don't sell anything out of there, but it's where we do the majority of our baking. And we have a... A business van that my dad drives around, so you'll probably see it around the city. So you're employing your your parents now. Well, this oh, yeah. is great. Dad, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> he retired last summer, so now he's well, busier good, than ever with good us. Good time. Yeah. So, yeah. so if somebody listening right now wants, they look at your Instagram and they go, "Oh, that looks like a, a wedding cake. I might want might want to get." Mm-hmm. What is the, the process? Because I understand it takes a couple of weeks to place an order with you? Yeah, so wedding cakes, I always suggest four to six months in advance just because it is a long process and it's a huge cake and our summers book up very quickly. Um, And then for smaller cakes, anything signature, so our basic birthday cakes and stuff, we usually say at least a week and anything customized two to three weeks. So it all depends. Um, The best thing to do is send me an email and kind of tell me what you're looking for, as much detail as you can, and then I get back to you and we kind of go from there. How long does it take you to make uh, a signature cake, for example? Um, signature cakes, um, I do them in steps, so probably all together between maybe half an hour and an hour. Custom cakes can take anywhere from six hours. Wedding cakes can be 24. It just depends. Oh, my word. A lot of details. Yeah. Were you always patient person? I mean, <laughs> yeah. when it comes to cakes. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And in general. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty laid back, and I, I love putting the time in and it, it doesn't feel like it's long to me. I always tell my boyfriend, I'll be home in an hour and it's like five hours later. I'm like, oops. <laughs> so I don't, I love what I do. So I kind of get into the zone when I'm doing that. So it doesn't feel like that long. It but. just seems like something where you'd have to be in on, I've seen your photography, uh, Ashley, and just you're so particular, both of you, like everything just looks absolutely 
perfect. Is this something, a way that you've always been uh, very particular about things being a certain way? Because that's the way it comes off. It it looks like a million bucks. I got to be honest Thank with you. you. Yeah, my mom has funny stories of me when I was little, <laughs> getting throwing tantrums if my stockings weren't perfectly aligned. And I've always been a perfectionist mm-hmm. right from the get-go, which is why I got into graphic design. Um, and it's translated really well to this business, so... Mm-hmm. It's worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you got the, the the top twenty cake makers to follow on Instagram and Martha Stewart weddings, uh, and you, when I went there, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that you were number one on that list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you notice an immediate sort of shift in terms of the people who were following you? I don't know. People always ask that, and it's, and it's hard to tell on Instagram. Um, like we might have noticed a little bump, but I think it's more of the longevity and just the uh, credibility that that kind of mention gives you. Um, I mean, if Martha Stewart knows who we are, that's pretty amazing. And I've loved her forever. So it was a yeah. huge accomplishment for us. What other forms of social media is your business on? Um, Instagram's our main thing. I mm-hmm. like link to Twitter and Facebook through Instagram, but it's all it's all pretty much Instagram. Yeah, I'm trying to find you on Twitter here right now. <laughs> here, yeah, Ashley. I think my Twitter link is broken. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, well, I've well, like, never really understood Twitter. I tried to figure it out, but it's, it's yeah complicated. <laughs> Instagram is uh, brilliant in its simplicity, right? Mm-hmm. Because as we say, a picture is worth a thousand words. And mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I mean, Instagram exemplifies that wholeheartedly, right? You can... You can show the joy, the despair, somewhere mm-hmm. in between, and the professionalism, which is what you guys do mm-hmm. on here. You know, would would you? What sort of advice do you give to young people? There must be people asking you for advice now mm-hmm. in terms of starting a business, whether it's similar or completely different. What What's yeah. your most popular go to piece of advice, Jenna? Yeah, well, I, I get a lot of emails and phone calls and stuff, just asking for advice. People want to start up a bakery in other other cities or whatever. And I just say, be ready for a lot of work, and you have to be passionate about what you do. You have to love it. You're not going to make it if you don't. And you also have to be sure that you're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> As in, like, anything you do in life, you have to be good at it to make it your living or be successful at it. So, And you have to have tough skin, too. That's something you have to yes, learn. Yes, that's something quickly. I'm still working on. <laughs> um, in what sense? Why? I mean, in this business, we understand why, yeah. because, you know, people talk. And, mm-hmm. in fact, they, they talk behind your back right to your face. They send yeah. you emails <laughs> and tell yeah. you exactly what they think of you. Do, you. do you experience this yourself? Ah, I think every yeah. industry does. To yeah. a point, people, people like you or they don't, or they like what you do or they don't like what you do, and... The people who don't are usually a bit more vocal sometimes. Um, so you just have to develop tough skin and know that what you're you have a vision for what you're doing and you're mm-hmm. gonna keep working and getting your standards really high. And eventually once you're really confident in what you're doing, those things don't really bug you anymore because you know you're confident in what you're putting out and what you're doing. Yeah. So. And it'd be when you are so passionate about what you do, you take it extremely personally mm-hmm. when people and some people are just plain mean and so, you have yeah. to just learn to ignore that. Some people give you constructive criticism, which we have taken and made ourselves better because of it, which is nice. Well, you need but, to listen to construct. But I would say ninety percent of it is just mean. <laughs> you just can't listen to it. Well, unfortunately, we have to be mean now and say our time is up. The clock <laughs> has caught up to us. Generaycakes.com is the website. You can also follow them on Instagram. Generay and Ashley Nicole, thank you so much for the visit today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And the business once again at Five Eighty Academy. Jenna Ray Cakes. The news is up next.
Well, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. All right. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry. Maybe bring him back up, Jeff Forte here. This, of course, is the theme to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Going back to our topic between one and two o'clock, missung and misunderstood lyrics. This is going out to Rudy. Rudy saying, growing up, I had one line to the Fresh Prince theme song. Very wrong. I believe the correct line is, and then a cabbie rolled up with dice in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, and then a cab pulled up and Tyson appeared. <laughs> I spent my youth thinking that Will Smith knew the cabbie and his name was, in fact, Tyson. I always thought how fortunate it was that his friend was able to drive him across the country from <laughs> Philly to Los Angeles. It wasn't until university in a public setting that my misinterpretation would come to light, bringing me some, in brackets, well-deserved ridicule. Rudy, thanks for sharing that with us today. We have uh, someone sent me an email here. Uh, oh, this is from Shane, who says, very interesting conversation regarding songs and lyrics. Before you went to break, you mentioned misheard lyrics, which automatically reminded me of Wayne's World's top five misheard lyrics. And there's a link to this. So let's see what Wayne and Garth have to say. Okay, hi. Okay, I hi. hope you're enjoying the show so far. Yeah, some killer band. You know, that brings me to a point. You know, when I listen to the tunes sometimes, I don't know, I think I hear the lyrics wrong. Yeah, yeah. Me, me too. I'll, I'll sing them wrong for years and years, thinking they're right, until someone <laughs> points it out, and I get really embarrassed. Yeah, it's really... Just like your email, Greg. That's right. Okay, with that in mind, all right, we'd like to do the top five misheard lyrics, all right? Nice. <laughs> and there's a graphic. Top five misheard lyrics. Okay, all right. Okay, the number five misheard lyric, all right? Yes. Monkey, monkey. You know you've got the Jacques the monkey. Hey, hey, Jacques the monkey. No. Okay. No, that's right. not right. Okay, the number four. Shock right. the monkey, right? Don't go sure. Out tonight. Peter Gabriel. It's bound to take your life. There's a bathroom on the right. There we go. Maybe that's where I got it. <laughs> well, we right. got a great text message at 7806868. I'm trying to find it now. One of our loyal listeners says I was actually in Nashville at a concert, John Fogarty, here it is, at the old Ryman Theater. Okay. Okay. A woman got up in the front row and Fogarty sang, and the bathroom is on the right. Really? <laughs> yes. That's what I said. For real? Yep. The old Ryman Theater. So thanks for sharing that with us. That's 780-6868. How about the itsy bitsy, tiny whiny, no, ti- it's, teeny yeah, weeny, yeah, teeny yeah. weeny, yellow polka dotted bikini. That's right. That's about the songwriter's little girl. Hmm. Oh, that's cute. That's the uh, from Goofy Greats, if I'm not mistaken, the K-Tel compilation album of all strange songs. <laughs> wow. The itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, yellow polka dot bikini. Itsy bitsy. Greg's going teeny, to the Google. Teeny weeny, yellow. That should be enough, eh? I would hope so. Brian Holland, itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, yellow polka dot bikini. 
Goofy Greats, K-Tel, there we go, various Goofy Greats, of course, K-Tel, one of the great Winnipeg exports, and there it is, tracklist A2, Brian Highland, Itsy Bitsy, Teeny Weeny, Yellow, Polka Dot Bikini. Hmm. Gotta love that. <laughs> Thank you, K-Tel. Never would have known this song otherwise, I'm sure of that. 312 on 680 CJOB. Thanks to all who provided uh, lyric suggestions, song suggestions that are either misunderstood or, quite frankly, misquoted. And we got a lot of texts and emails. And I think, Greg, you had mentioned, uh, or no, I think we got a text about I Don't Like Mondays. A couple of people suggested I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. That's a song which I believe is about a, a shooting. I'm not. I'm, it's one of those songs where I don't know it, but I'm sure once I hear it, instantly recognize it. Why don't we put our cracked research staff on it, and then after traffic and weather, maybe we can confirm what that song is about. Okay. Traffic and weather together. Up next. This sounds familiar. Boomtown Brats. Oh, yes. I like, like I said, Mondays. once I hear it, I'll know it. Has it been a while since you heard this song? Yeah. A really long time. Is that... Is his volume down all the way? What's going on? Why is it so quiet? It's not Vimeo, so it should go loud. Bob Geldof, former winner of the St. Bonaventure Hospital Foundation International Award for his work in Live Aid and other charities over the years. And you said to me, is that a boat? Is that actually about a school shooting? And you're actually right. Yeah, because somebody had suggested that to us. Uh, so it's about a school shooting. Was it about one that happened? Yes. Brenda Spencer, a 16-year-old San Diego high school student who lived across from an elementary school. On Monday, January 29th, 1979, she opened fire on the school with a rifle, killing two adults, including the principal, and injuring nine kids before going back to her home. Police surrounded her home and waited for seven hours until she gave herself up. In that time, she spoke with a reporter on the phone. When asked why she did it, she replied, I just started shooting. That's it. I just did it for fun of it. I just don't like Mondays. I just did it because it's a way to cheer the day up. Nobody likes Mondays. Huh. It's wow. pretty dark. Uh, we got a text here from somebody earlier today at 204-780-6868. He says, well, if we're talking misplaced songs... I had Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones as my wedding song. My wife knows I love the Stones and let me pick it out. And the Gimme Shelter, by the way, just looking at songfacts.com, says this is about the political and social unrest at the time. There was the war in Vietnam, race riots, and Charles Manson. Mick Jagger sings of needing shelter from this storm. So not entirely sure if 
Well, you could you could look at it in one of two ways in terms of the context of a wedding. Either he's playing this song because he feels like he needs uh, needs shelter from the world, the outside world, and this person he is about to marry is going to be that shelter for him. Aren't you poetic? Or maybe he's getting ready for the storm that is the wedding and he's that is marriage, and he's going to need shelter from that. I don't know. Either like that or just really one. likes this song. Yeah, and he's he married a really cool chick who allowed him to express himself artistically on the biggest day of their lives together. Just a thought. Yeah, that's probably all it was. He just really digs the song and thought, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm never going to be a professional wrestler or boxer, and I want to walk into a song. Want to have an intro song once in my life? We have to have this conversation about if you had a theme song, mm-hmm. what would it be? Like if every time you entered a room, yep. a song were to play, Okay. what play would you like, uh, what song would you like to play? <laughs> it's like the baseball players. Yep. They get to pick the songs that's played when they, when they go up to bat. Oh. Yeah. In Major League Baseball and the minor leagues too. They play your song when you go up to bat. Okay. So we might have to have that discussion. If you were a Major League Baseball aficionado, when you went to bat, what song would play? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it would be Bodies by Drowning Pool. Let the bodies hit the floor, Greg. We will uh, have to delve into that a little deeper at some point as well. Um, by the way, don't forget at 5.15, another chance to qualify for the Okanagan Bucket List Flyaway to Predator Ridge Contest. Today's winner, where did that go to? That I know is here somewhere. It's in the uh, production. I know where it is. File. I just need Donald Roy. There you go. Donald go, Roy Donald. is today's qualifier for the grand prize draw, which is coming up April 28th. And you get round trip airfare for two. You get two nights accommodation at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa based on double occupancy. You get 250 bucks towards Kerr Spa treatments and or food and beverage at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. You get a private sommelier-led tour, followed by a three-course wine-paired lunch in the vineyard for for you and a guest at Mission Hill Family Estate. And Greg, you said you've been to this Mission Hill Family oh, Estate, right? It's fabulous. It's uh, one of the most beautiful places in the Okanagan, and you walk around and sip wine and wine tasting, and there's a beautiful terrace where you can look out over Okanagan Lake and have a beautiful meal. What could possibly be wrong about that? You also get two nights accommodation at a Peregrine Cottage at Predator Ridge. Uh, Round of golf at Predator Ridge public course for two people and a whole bunch of other stuff. I think I read half of the things that are in this contest. So cjob.com for more information. 5.15 today, your chance to qualify once more for the Okanagan Bucket List Flyway to Predator Ridge contest. Traffic, weather, sports all up next. Three thirty-eight on this Monday afternoon. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, with you and Brett. Do you, do you volunteer? Do you have time for any volunteer? Not activities? really. Not re- well. I shouldn't say no. There's. The, I would. The answer to that question is there's always time to do that, but I don't make the time for that. Uh, I'm not. I sorry. I didn't apologize. Uh, yeah, I apologize. I didn't mean to. Uh, no, it's okay. I'm Shame a terrible. I'm a air. terrible person. I don't do no, any volunteering. You are not a terrible person. A terrible person. You work sixty hours a week. You're a busy guy, and so I would imagine that volunteering would be a difficult situation for you. Uh, as you may know, Winnipeg will host the Jeux Canada, the Canada Summer Games, this summer, 2017, and 
let's face it, it's going to be a huge undertaking, and 6,000 volunteers are required to make this happen. Jeff Natchik joins us, and Jeff, well, he is the Host Society President and CEO. Jeff, how many more volunteers do you need? Well, you know, we've uh, we've made some some great strides in the last couple of uh, of weeks. Uh, we were about sixty five percent of our target, and over the last two weeks, people have really uh, come to the to the forefront. We've been able to sign up uh, almost a thousand volunteers in the last couple of weeks, which is great news for us. Uh, but at the same time, we are still a little shy on our our needs. We're now about ninety percent of our target, so. Uh, if we can get another 500 to 1,000 volunteers, we'll be in uh, we'll be in great shape. How is the number of 6,000 determined? Yeah, it's looked at the uh, the different. I mean, some of it is historical, based on previous summer games and experiences that host societies have had. But it's also done based on an analysis of all the different. There's 42 different functional areas in uh, in a games on the operations side. Everything from transportation to food services to obviously all the sport uh, and sport venue requirements that uh, that we need. So when we look at in the well, medical, and I can go on and on and all the different areas that we require volunteers. And so when we look at it as a host society and look at the venues that we have, how those venues are going to be set up, structured, uh, we then are able to get a pretty good idea as to the number of volunteers that uh, that will require based on the sports schedule we have, as well as the different uh, uh, schedules, different components of, of the game. So it's a very significant, detailed process that, uh, that we go through to try and get to that number. Now, 20,000 was the threshold for volunteers for the Pan Am Games, a massive undertaking. But what people have to realize that of those 20,000 that, that sign up and get accreditation, etc., there are some that will not show up. Is it fair to say, Jeff? Oh, definitely, and and we're factoring that in. Um, so to get to the to get to the six thousand volunteers we require, we we likely need about seven thousand people in the in the database because um, we've got cases already where people have signed up and maybe not followed through because there is a process now that we're volunteers are going through around orientation, etc. So some of those people have dropped off, and we also know that come games time, things happen. Uh, people who may have thought they had either vacation time available to them, things change in, in their lives or in their jobs, and they're just not able to give us the time. So we have to plan for that for sure. And so, Brett, just to let you know, there is still time to <laughs> sign up to volunteer. <laughs> What's the minimum commitment, Jeff? Uh, we're looking for 36 hours uh, as a minimum commitment over the over the two weeks. We'll also look at, and we've had a lot of people who have said, you know, I can, I can give you the time, 36 hours, but can I be programmed in evenings and weekends and kind of work around the fact that I, I, I still have a day job and we'll definitely try and make those uh, those kinds of situations work for people as much as we can. But we're looking for a minimum of 36 hours over the two weeks. So what are some of the benefits to being a volunteer besides being an outstanding citizen and being thanked for your time and it being really a memory of a lifetime? My dad still talks about volunteering at the baseball events for the 1967 Pan Am Games. I don't have to tell you how many years ago that was. It's something that uh, my dad to this day holds very uh, near and dear to his heart, and I think it spurred a lot of his uh, community activism that he's been involved with ever since. Well, you know, that's a really good example of what we hear time and time again about people who, 
have experience uh, volunteering at a, any kind of an event, and uh, especially a major event like this where you get to meet so many people. You get to meet young athletes. You get to meet visitors that are coming into the into the community. Um, the volunteers, our volunteers will actually be our first line um, ambassadors for these games. So, you know, it's, it's really that experience of meeting people, having a, uh, you know, a really good time over the two weeks of the games. That's important. But uh, also, I mean, there are some perks. We'll be providing a volunteer uniform and those who remember the 99 games and I, we still see some of those salmon colored volunteer uniforms uh, around the, the, the city. Uh, we'll have a volunteer uniform for them. I won't, say that it's necessarily the salmon colored ones but it'll be something that'll stick out um and uh, so yeah there's the, the uniform we're also providing every volunteer with a ticket to the closing ceremonies uh the ability for volunteers to use Winnipeg Transit to get from venue to, to venue or get to the venues they need to get to, to to work that's provided at no cost as long as the volunteer has their accreditation and their uniform on so there are a number of sort of those tangible uh, items that uh, a volunteer will get uh, uh, as a part of the games, but it's really that experience that becomes the the key thing. What happens if you do end up falling well short of the goal of six thousand volunteers? Well, I, I think that we're we're at the point now where we're we're, and I won't say that we're we've got all the volunteers that we need, but we'll look at maybe. Um, you know, those people who have indicated a desire to even work more than 36 hours uh, over the two weeks and how we can factor those people into some of the gaps that we'll have if we don't reach those numbers. Uh, our hope is definitely not to have to cut back on any of the important services that the volunteers provide. That would definitely be a, a last resort, but that could be the situation if we do get uh, get to the point where we have that much of a, a shortage. But we really anticipate, and I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, people are, are really starting to come to the to the forefront. Uh, maybe it's the nice weather. People are starting to think a little bit more about summer and their plans for the summer. But we're very confident that by the end of this month, we will have reached our, our target. Jeff, I won't be offended if you don't take my advice. But this is a thought I have. Maybe if you assure people that the volunteer uniform will not be that iconic salmon color, you might get some uptake here. Well, you know what? I, I can go out on the limb and say that it will not be the same salmon color that was used for the Pan Am Games uniform. So if that's going to bring people out, then great. But hey, those things, it was, it was, you know, you look back at the 99 games, that's one of the more memorable things that people uh, recall is those uniforms and seeing that, that sea of salmon everywhere in the, in the city. Uh, that is uh, absolutely true, Jeff. I won't editorialize any further on that. How can <laughs> folks get involved if uh, this uh, plea and this uh, conversation has uh, struck a chord for them? Yeah, the best way for people to get involved is to go to our website, which is uh, Canada Games or 2017CanadaGames.ca, and um, there's a process right on our website that walk people right through the um, the registration process. Uh, if not, we have a volunteer center at Fort Rouge Leisure Center on Osborne. People can drop by there and uh, and register also in person. Thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate your time today. Congratulations on this. It's going to be a massive success. I have zero doubt about that. And uh, for those that like to uh, continue uh, pursuing the idea of volunteering, uh, we need you to do that. So, Jeff, thanks for uh, planting that seed for us today. Thanks, 
very much. I really appreciate the support, you guys. Absolutely. Jeff Natchuk, he is the president and CEO of the Host Society for the 2017 Canada Summer Games, of course, coming to Winnipeg this summer. 347 on 680 CJOB, traffic and weather together. Next. Just one more time, I want to let you know you can pop by in person if you want to volunteer for the 2017 Canada Summer Games. 625 Osborne, that's the Fort Rouge Leisure, Leisure Centre. There's people there Monday to Friday, 9 till 3, or you can give them a call, 204-228-1085. Julie Buckingham and Richard Cluche joining us in studio now. Hey, guys. Happy Easter Monday. And happy Easter Monday Same to you guys. To you. Yeah. You, we all have friends who got today off. Yes. Are, are we jealous of, of them today? No, because we'll get to choose a day off of our own selection. I like how you think, Julie Buckingham. You so are really that. working hard to rebuild our relationship. I think you've, <laughs> I think you've gone a long way there with yeah, that. You I get to pick I your own. Re- I didn't realize. Yes, I you love get to you pick again. Your own. It's great. Give, give it a few minutes. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got planned for us for today? Do you want to go? You go. You want me to go? Sure, you go. Uh, um, it's it's most, Monday. It's spring. I'm starting anew. I'm trying to be nice. Most Canadians believe sugar is more harmful than marijuana. We have the 2017 Cannabis Report hmm. and a survey done, not just of Canadians, but of Americans as well, just after the 4 o'clock news. An extensive survey just ahead of uh, 420 on our attitudes towards marijuana, given the legislation that was introduced. And uh, it's quite amazing how young people not only have tried it and are using it, but how they feel about it. And I think um, that's where you see some differences in how we, Greg and I, we're about the same age, you're a little Mm -hmm. older than me, then... um, What, What did you just slide in there? Yeah. Did you say that I was older than you? Well, you've got a little bit more wisdom than me. And, uh, yeah. That part might be true. I don't know about the yeah. other. Years. What's the yeah. question there? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we'll also have a transportation expert. I'm trying to, I started off being nice and then it's gone downhill from there. Uh, mm-hmm. David Duval will join us as well. Talking about all the snafus that airlines have been having lately. Air Canada, the latest, uh, bumping a 10 year old boy from, Ooh, from a family. How does that even happen? Uh, United had another one with a, a couple that were halfway, they were done one leg on their way to their own destination wedding. And so one flight crew says, oh, you're getting married. And they get, bought them drinks and everything. Then they go to board their next aircraft and find out that they've been If you're a lawyer bumped. right now, you have to be just kind of going. Yep. Doing one <laughs> of those questions. things right now, right? We've had ambulance chasing lawyers. Now we have jet plane chasing well, lawyers, and some right? people say time to read the fine print. You tick the box and in that fine print will be things like you may be bumped. There may be a revolution coming here though, right? This is supposed to be the age of empowerment for consumers. This may have that effect uh, long-term, I think. And we'll ask David Duval that very question because sometimes in the moment we will say that and then wait for a couple of weeks until the next shiny thing that we in the media will focus in on and we we switch to something else. What were you saying? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. that's that's sometimes the the way it goes, without right? Without question. But you know, as uh as consumers we need to be vigilant without question. So Are you giving anything away today? We will have a Predator Ridge qualifier. We got some goodies later on this week. Some goodies. Julie Buckingham, Richard Cluche, thank you very much. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. And speaking of goodies, Shadow Davis has four 
One, two, three, four big announcements tomorrow morning. My word. After 7 o'clock, so keep your ears open for those announcements. Greg Mackling, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Happy Easter Monday to you. Happy Easter Monday to you, Jeff Fortier and Master Control. And to you listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.